when you watch Americans Got Talent or American Idol or one of those other reality competition shows, there's always a few of those acts that, you know, they, they get on the stage to perform their thing or sing their song. And you know right from the beginning that it's going to be a train wreck. And it's like they're the only ones that know that they're horrible. Um, you know, the judges know it, you know it, the audience knows it. And they get up there and they start their performance and you just cringe. You, you, because you, you know what's going to happen. Because you know the confidence that they had when they walked out onto that stage. They thought that they were good enough. And they, they think that when I walk off the stage, that I'm going to have a record deal and that I'm going to be signing autographs and I'm going to be invited to parties and I'm going to make it big. And everybody on the show, except for the winner, always walks off with their hopes and their dreams crushed. Because they think that they've, they're good enough. They think that walking up to the, that stage, that, they, that they've got it. And they walk away crushed. And some of those ones that were the train wrecks, they have that same hope and that same belief. And they walk away crushed just like everybody else. Be, and they thought that showing up was going to be enough. And showing up isn't enough. You know, your, your first day on a new job, when you show up, you don't know everything. Or your first day in a, in a college class, your first day of college, you go into the class, you don't have the subject matter all figured out. Or pull into a parking lot the store doesn't just bring out your groceries that you need for just because you should. Well, I, I guess they do now if you order online, um, they bring them out to you. You don't just walk into a gym and w because you walked into the gym, you won the game. Or you, and you don't walk into a group of people. Just walking in doesn't make you friends with everybody. Or sitting down for a conversation with somebody doesn't automatically bring resolution. See, just showing up might be the start, but we have to do the work. Last week, Pastor Bob shared about the church is not a building. It, it's the people. It, it's not just a worship service. It's, it's deep relationships and engaging with each other. Showing up to a building or logging online to a service isn't really being the church. See, we have to do the work. After the Gospels, the New Testament focuses on the church, what it should be, what it should look like, what it should feel like, and it has nothing to do with a building. But it's how people interact and engage with each other and in the world. And if you've read the book of Acts, you'll see how the early church was formed and how Peter and the disciples, they, they went to the Jews and um, Paul and Timothy and Barnabas, they, they went to the Gentiles. They went to anybody who wasn't a Jew. And most of the New Testament was written by Paul and some a little bit with Peter and a couple others. And it's them guiding the church and encouraging the church and, and teaching the church how to treat each other. And he's, they're warning them to keep Jesus the focus. Because... Jesus is the thing, is the person that is supposed to bring us together, that is supposed to unite us. 
And as you read the book of Acts and you see where all the different places that, that Peter and Paul and everybody goes, how they engage people of different cultures and different races and different backgrounds, all with the love of Christ. And it's the person of Jesus Christ that binds them together. And that should bind us together. That should be what brings us together. And based on all the challenges and struggles that we faced, isn't that the kind of unity that we need right now? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to Jesus. Let that be our uniting factor. And then he goes on to say, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That we would encourage one another. That that we would help each other. We would push each other toward Jesus. And then he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not keep, forget to meet together. And I'm not talking about the regulations that we've had and and masks or no masks. The interpersonal of us meeting together, meeting with each other and being in relationship with each other. That's what the the majority of the New Testament is Paul guiding the church in the way that we interact and engage with each other. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, the very beginning portion of the early church. And this is a group of verses that I've always been captivated by. That God just draws me to because I want this. And, And I want this for me and I want this for you. I want, this is an image of what the church is called to be. And it says in chapter 2, starting at verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is incredible view and perspective of a community being kind of held together. And, and we like this idea of community. We like the idea of being united as believers. But I think a lot of us, we haven't experienced that Or maybe we have in the past, but maybe we're currently not experiencing it. You know, I've been a pastor for 15 years, and I would say only in the last year or two have I experienced this type of depth. Even with all the restrictions and and the hurdles that that we've faced this past year, I've experienced a deep level of community that I've never experienced before in the church that I've read so much about, that I've longed for. And I've been in various small groups and have not experienced being the church like this. Because it's not about just showing up, but it's about doing the work of being the church. 
And as I've studied these verses, there's three things that God's laid on my heart, different aspects of what is it being the church require of us. Being the church requires us to be intentional with our time, to be intentionally vulnerable, and to be engaged. So let's look at the first one. Being the church requires intentional time. So when did they meet together? Verse 26, it says, 46, it says, every day, every day, in the chat. I want everyone to write every day in the chat. Because when did they meet together? They met every day. Being the church requires us to invest in our time. Being the church is being in relationship with each other. That took the highest priority. Every day they met together. Now that sounds like a lot. We've got technology now. And why can't we meet together? Why does, why not? Because what does meeting together regularly create? Meeting together regularly creates deep relationships and it creates accountability. I'm in a Bible study with a group of high schoolers and college students. Uh, they're all from Oklahoma. And for the last four years, I've been in and out of this group. We're reading through the Bible. And they've been reading through the Bible every year. And we all read through the same texts. And we've got this group text, though, that every day when we read, we send a text to everybody and say, I read today. And we, we share our questions or our comments that we have. And in this daily text encourages me to focus on Christ. It fo focuses me to get into the word and to, to read it and to dig in. And I know that when those texts are coming, they're not asking me if I've read. They're just saying I've read and that pushes me because I'll be honest, there's many, many, many days where I don't want to read and I need that daily accountability and that daily encouragement now, they meet also every Sunday night, and they talk about what they're reading, and they pray together. That's an investment that they're making that requires time. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a group that meets every day, but do we have people in our lives, whether it's a group or, or even just one other person who's regularly checking in with us, who's regularly challenging us, praying for us, because being the church requires time. It requires us to put forth the energy to be there, to be present. And this is something that uh, the American church has been in a downward trend as we've been giving less and less time to church and investing in that. There was a study published in Outreach Magazine in 2018 that shared that 23 to 25% of all Americans show up to church at least three out of eight Sundays. Only a quarter of all Americans go to church at least three out of eight Sundays. That's not even 50% of the time that they're there. The Barner Group just recently did a uh, study this past year that 20% of all practicing Christians and church adults have not gone to a church service, either physical or online, in the last six months. Now, I'm not trying to send mixed messages that it's all about the service and you have to go to a service, but it's the, the investment that we have in our time. And what do we give toward the community? How can we be in community with each other? How can we be the church if we're never together? 
It requires us to have an investment. And what did they do with their time? It says that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Where did they meet? They met in their homes. Everybody type in the chat feature, homes. Because where did they meet? They met in their homes. Why were they in their homes? They were in their homes because the temple was run by the Jews. The, the, the temple was the Old Testament temple. Okay? It was, it was run with Old Testament laws. And, and so what they were doing following Jesus didn't make sense necessarily in the temple. So the temple was still where all the old, uh, where they would bring animals to be sacrificed, where, where they would bring goats and, and chickens and lambs and doves, and they would offer all these sacrifices. And if you want to know more about what that looked like, read Leviticus. And there's all sorts of uh, all the regulations in which they would do that. And they would kill these animals in place of their sins. And, and they would offer these sacrifices and they would get together and they would talk about the law and the prophets, but they didn't have the gospel yet. They didn't, they didn't really, as a group, acknowledge who Jesus was. And so, yes, they would go to the temple regularly. They were there, but it was in their homes that they broke bread and they ate together. It, we know that breaking bread is, is, is communion. They would have communion in their homes. It didn't make sense for them to have communion at the temple because they were, they were sacrificing animals. And, and, you know, we know about communion. What communion is, is remembering and dwelling on the sacrifice that Jesus was for our sins. And it says that they, they, that they broke bread, they had communion, and they ate together. And there's something about being at a table that draws us together, right? When we hang out with somebody, we often go to dinner, or go to lunch, or we'll go to coffee because food and beverages bring us together. And so here the early church is meeting at homes, and they're breaking bread, and they're eating together. And I can only imagine the conversations, as they're, as they're breaking bread and they're taking communion, they're breaking the bread and they're, and they're drinking the juice and they're talking about the juice and they're saying, can you believe that Jesus did that for me? You know, they're taking the bread and they're breaking, they're splitting it and they're relieved and they're reliving the crucifixion, but they're relieved because they no longer have to take the animal sacrifices to the temple and shed blood for their sins because of what Jesus did for them. And they're discussing around the table, can you believe that they're still doing that? When we never have to do that again. We've been forgiven. And they were amazed and in awe about that. It's this incredible picture. Now, I know that we can't meet together like maybe we, we would want to with the different regulations and things like that, but it just makes us need to think outside the box. We can be creative and still be the church regardless of any regulations. We've never, in the course of this whole time, and I've been frustrated with this, but I've, God's checked me on this. We've never been limited from being the church. It just requires us to use our time and energy a little bit different. But being the church requires intentional time. 
The second thing is being the church requires intentional vulnerability. See, this picture that we see in Acts is that they took care of each other. They took care of each other. They, They were so close that they knew each other's needs. So how how did they know that? Because they were so intimately living life on life and they were honest with each other. Verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. Anyone as they had need. Now, I'm not saying go sell everything and that's not what everybody was doing, but they were making sure that everybody was taken care of. And let's be honest, we're all good people. You know, we would all do whatever we could to help somebody out. And that sounds all real good, generally speaking. And it makes us feel good to say and to think that way. But do we really live closely enough with people to share our needs with them and to feel comfortable to receive help? Are we really that vulnerable with each other? You know, we're kind of been a society that's, hey, how you doing? Good. And that's all we want to know. And we're not necessarily vulnerable with each other. We don't let people in. You know, we, we take great pictures on Instagram and Facebook and our lives are, are beautiful. And we're not vulnerable with the things that we're struggling with and the things that don't make sense. Because it sometimes it may cause conflict. And I'm not even talking about being vulnerable on the big things as much as I am thinking about the little things. You know, if you need a ride to the airport or if if you need someone to watch your kids for a quick hour, are we vulnerable enough to ask for help or for to see that in other people? You know, you need somebody to come help you get the dock out of the pond in the fall or you need an extra set of hands for landscaping or you bring meals to someone who just had a baby or an emergency appendectomy. These things don't have to be big, but are we living in community enough? Are we vulnerable enough with each other that we know each other's needs? Are we vulnerable not only with the external needs, but what about what's going on on the inside? You know, are we vulnerable enough to have people praying for us and with us? You know, when it comes to sharing prayer requests, do we just go down the list of the people that we know that are sick? Or do we get personal? Who in your life is praying with you through the darkness that you feel from working from home? Or the stress of trying to provide for your family? Do we have people that, that we're praying for healed marriages for? Or through anxiety and letting go of some stuff? Or, or deep hurts and wounds that they're carrying, praying for them to be released and talking to them and being engaged in that way? When it comes time to pray, hopefully we're vulnerable enough to be praying with each other, but then when it comes time to pray, do we have to go around and share our prayer requests? Because we don't know what's going on? Or is it, you know what, I'm praying for you. These are the things that I'm praying for you for. Is there anything else that I I can be joining you with? See, this type of relationship, 
of being the church in this vulnerability is very uncomfortable and it's scary to trust somebody with the deepest parts of who we are. Galatians chapter 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law. Carry each other's burdens. There's this this community feel to it, that we're in this together. James takes it a lot further than that of this vulnerability. And he says, confess your sins to one another. You want vulnerability, start doing that. Being the church, being that close with each other requires us to be vulnerable. And then the third thing, being the church requires engagement. It's not only that we share our needs, but that we're so close that we take responsibility for each other. That I am going to care for you. You can't live in this type of community and not naturally do this. You're too close to ignore situations. You're too close to be blind to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes about spiritual gifts and how God gives us all spiritual gifts to build the church. Not a building, not a program, but to build the church, build its people, and to give Him glory. And that not all gifts are the same and that we need each other. We need all the gifts to be present and to be engaged. And that we're stronger together than we are apart. The knowledge and vulnerability is not enough, but we have to act. Being the church is hard work. And it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional with it. Now, Greg Popovich is a, is a coach for the San Antonio Spurs, and I'm a big San Antonio Spurs fan, um, and so it just feels right to represent. Um, and, and Greg Popovich has been a coach for, for many years and uh, for the NBA team, the San Antonio Spurs, and they recruit all over the world. So they have players from Africa, they have players throughout Europe, they have players from South America, and they were kind of the first team to really bring in people from other countries. And so Greg Popovich had this this task of creating this team culture with 15 different players and coaches and staff and things like that from all different backgrounds, but then having multiple different cultures completely unknown to each other that he's trying to blend together. And so he takes culture very serious. And so... The NBA season is 82 games. They play 41 games on the road. And Greg Popovich uses those 41 games on the road to capitalize on their team culture. A lot of teams, they, they all, like after a game, then they can go out to eat wherever they want. And, but the Spurs, they do a team dinner every game, after every way game. And Greg Popovich goes over the plans and, and the season when the schedule comes out and he figures out where they're going to be and what dates And then he goes to those cities uh, online or whatever, and he looks at all the restaurants around, and he picks the restaurant. Because Greg Popovich not only loves food, and he loves wine too. And so he's like, what's the perfect meal? And he's meticulous about this. And so he will order, he will know what they're going to order, and he will pair the wines and everything like that. And so when they're on the road, they'll finish their game, and Greg Popovich will finish whatever he's doing and he will take a cab to the restaurant because the team's going to meet him there and because he wants to be the first 
there at the restaurant. And, and they, typically they have a room in the back and he gets there first and he wants to see the room that they've laid out because he's got very specific instructions for the wait staff. That in this room, the tables have to be tables of six. They cannot be tables of two. They cannot be tables of four. They cannot be tables of eight or ten. They have to be tables of six. Because what he's observed and what he's learned is that at a table of six, there's one conversation going on. And at a table of six, all six people are engaged in that conversation. And in order for him to build the team and the community that he wants, he wants everyone to be engaged. And so he'll walk in and he'll make sure that the tables are tables of six. Because if they're of seven, there, there could be a conversation of three and a conversation of four. And that breaks down some of the culture that he's trying to create. He's meticulous to the very detail how many chairs are at the table about creating the culture that he wants for his team. And if we think that we are just going to show up to church or log on online and we're going to be the church, it's not going to happen. We have to do the work. If we aren't intentional about creating this type of community, then we're not going to have it. COVID can't be an excuse for us to not be the church. Now, it might have shaped the, what it looks like right now. M maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe it's a smaller group than what we would maybe prefer or have in mind. Maybe it's uh, more on a Zoom link or maybe it's a text or phone calls. Maybe it starts with one and grows to 10 or whatever it might be. It's not going to be perfect, but it requires intentionality on our part. And for some of us, we've experienced it and we are in community and it is incredible and it is wonderful. But I, I think there's a lot of us that, that aren't experiencing it. And if we want to experience this, if we want to be the church like this, then we've got to make the effort so who can you connect with? If you don't have that, who can you connect with? Who can you start building this type of relationship? I mean, in a season right now where so many feel disconnected and alone, this is where the church should be shining as we're being the church. Maybe the community that you need today is Jesus. Maybe you feel alone and unloved because you don't yet know or understand who Jesus is. Jesus intentionally came for you. He left heaven and he came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the grave three days later to pay the price so that he could do something for you and I that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus invested the time to come to us. All we need to do is be vulnerable and receive the free gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never done that and today is your day. Today is the day that you can receive this free gift of forgiveness and being in relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, 
Would you pray with me? Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, would you, would you take away my sins? I give you my life. And I ask that you would lead me and guide me so that I can be in community with you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you let somebody know? In the chat box, hit the connect button. Email me if you, if you would, because I want to celebrate with you. Because we're not meant to go through this life alone. We're meant to do it in community with each other and community with Jesus.